Good morning, church. It is it's really good to see you, to see people. And we welcome those of you who are worshiping by live stream, but I, I just have missed seeing some of you people and uh, just looking up in the balcony and seeing a couple of families I haven't seen in a long time because of this COVID-19. A few weeks ago, there's a, a guy in our church that's just kind of um, outlandish, lovable character. I won't tell you his name. His first name is Steve. But he told me, he said, I'm going to say something to you I never thought I'd say to you, and I've known you for 35 years. It is good to literally see you. I didn't think I'd ever say that, but he said, it is good to see you. So I can say it's really good to see you. We're seeing people begin to trickle back and be with us, and we're glad that you're comfortable to be here. If you're not, thank you for joining us by live stream. Today I want to finish up Psalm 16, the, the path of joy, the pursuit of joy today, the topic and the focal passage will be the last part or the last verse of Psalm 16 that says, you make known to me the path of life in your presence there is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is the word of God. So there's a phrase that you'll hear as you talk to people, and the phrase goes something like this, whatever makes you happy, you know, whatever makes you happy, whatever you want to do, if it makes you happy, just do it. You determine what happiness is. Now, what's interesting, if you study the concept of happiness in the Greco-Roman culture, in the Hebrew culture of the Old Testament, in the New Testament church, that statement would have been nonsensical balderdash because all of those cultures believed that, that there was a fixed moral order where happiness dwelt. There was a fixed moral order where happiness dwelt. So happiness to a degree is the result of following the God-ordained standards built into our heart, and we say, and in the word where we follow him. But we in America have grown up with the concept of the pursuit of happiness from the Declaration of Independence. And if you read Forbes magazine this past March, the pursuit of happiness for Americans is not going so good. Uh, they released a survey. Every year there's a survey about the happiest countries in the world. And uh, this year for the third year in a row, there was a country that was proclaimed the happiest country in the world. And that country was... Anybody want to guess? Finland. Finland. Number two in the World Happiness Index, uh, if I can remember, was Denmark. Number three was Switzerland. Number four, Iceland. Number five, Norway, Sweden. Number seven. So really the Nordic countries are the Southeast Conference football of happiness. You know, they're, they're all there and that type of thing. And um, the U.S. ranked at number 18. Up one year, last year we were uh, 19, so we switched places with the Czech Republic this year. And so you go, you know, what, what, what does that mean? Well, this is what I want to say. As I study the scripture, I believe, follower of Jesus, that your birthright, your heritage, your legacy, your inheritance is joy in Christ, happiness. In a fallen world with battles and blessings, absolutely, but there is a resounding sense of wellness, happiness, and flourishing. In fact, one of my favorite statements is from a book entitled Not the Way It's Supposed to Be by a man named Plantinga, and he says this, Shalom is the webbing together in human relationships 
of God, humans, and all creation in justice, fulfillment, and delight, which leads to universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight. It's the webbing together. That, he says that is shalom under the banner of Christ. That is our heritage. Now, there's a man named John Perry Barlow who's written some interesting articles. He, he wrote a, a well-known, much-discussed article in the year 2002, I think it was, entitled The Pursuit of Emptiness. And Mr. Barlow was raised in Wyoming, uh, lived an incredible life, but he ended up being an adjunct professor at Harvard for 20 years, maybe more about him later, but writes very well, very insightful, not a follower of Christ. But he really mocked the pursuit of happiness. <clears throat> he said that he and his, at that time, his living girlfriend were living in San Francisco, and he said, we made a commitment to go to an upscale grocery store that sold only organic foods to the upper middle class and the upper class. And we went there several times a day for 11, seven times a week for several months. And we made this commitment, let's take note of happy countenances and smiling faces. This is at the end of 11 months, <clears throat> they both came up with this. They'd seen seven smiling faces. He says three of them were forced. I don't know how he knew that. And he just, he kind of mocked the pursuit of happiness. He says, here we live in San Francisco among the wealthy of the wealthy and their dour, downcast people. And he goes on and he writes this in this article. He says the following. He says, here we suffer in the U.S. We suffer the tyranny of fraudulent cheerfulness. Big brother has arrived as a great smiley face. I think I probably sensed this early since I came from a family in Wyoming where nearly everyone drank themselves into oblivion during times like Christmas when happiness was most pathologically pursued. Now, the word pathologically pursued means that it was obsessively, compulsively, unhealthily pursued. And he says that the pursuit of happiness can become pathological. And my question is, is that true? <clears throat> and if you come from, from life, from his perspective, which says there's no fixed moral order where happiness resides, it's up to every man or woman to determine what's happy, then it's a pathological pursuit. But if you're a believer and you see that light is in Jesus and you walk under the authority of God, the word of God, I, I think, listen, I think we are commanded to pursue happiness. Let me just give you one Psalm. Psalm 81 <clears throat> talks about how we should respond to these things. Um, where the psalmist says this. Sing aloud to God our strength. Shout for joy to the God of Jacob. Raise a song. Sound the tambourine, the sweet lyre, and with the harp. And blow the trumpet at the new moon and at the full moon on our feast day. For it is a statute for Israel, a rule of the God of Jacob. He made it a decree in Joseph when he went out under, over the land of Egypt. I hear a language I had not known. He says, I relieved your shoulder of the burden and your hands from freed from the basket. In distress, you called out and I delivered you. I answered you in the secret place of thunder. I tested you at the waters of Meribah. Oh, Israel, if you would only listen to me. There, there would be no strange God among you. You shall not bow down to a foreign God, for I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. 
Open your mouth wide and I will fill it, which is a metaphorical statement saying, I want to bless you and give you hope and peace and joy. But he starts off by, 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 by commanding. He says, he, says, he says, sing aloud, shout for joy, raise a song, blow the trumpet, shake the tambourine. Because God is good and he's worked in our lives. And he says, have no other gods before you. Find fulfillment in me. Open wide your mouth and I will fill it. So I look at this and I go, this, this happiness is, is commanded. Therefore, we go to chapter 16, verse 11. For you will make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there's fullness of joy. At your right hand, pleasures forever. Brothers and sisters, there's a path of life to walk on that's prescribed in the scripture that leads to fulfillment and hope and flourishing. As compared to no path. I think of one of my favorite Proverbs, Proverbs 4, verses 18 and 19. The path of the righteous is like the light of dawn that grows brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked not a path, it's a way. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. So, so there is a path. That's a good, there's a path. And it's laid out for us in scripture for our, our, our flourishing and our joy. So, so let me talk about various approaches. Um, two paths diverge. And one path I'm going to suggest is what I call the fool's way from Psalm 14. The, the fool's way says this. Now, a fool is someone who is willfully and destructively blind to their own faults. They're willfully and destructively blind to their own thoughts. And it, false. He says, the, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. The psalmist says they are corrupt and they do abominable deeds, and there's none who does good. Verse 3, they have all turned aside, and together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. They have no knowledge. They're evildoers. They eat up my people as they eat bread, and they do not call upon the name of Jehovah. So, so the, the, the fool who's willfully blind to his destructive life patterns and the horrors around him, he says, there's no God to whom I answer. There's no God that holds me to account. Therefore, I call the shots. I eat up people like, like bread. I, I, I plot destruction. And this is what I do. And see, this type of attitude can be clothed in religious garb and go to church on Sunday morning. For example, in Luke 18, Jesus tells the parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee. And he, taught, he says that two men went up to the, 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 the temple to pray. He said one was the tax collector and one was the Pharisee. And he said, he said, one stood up saying, um, two men went up to the temple, the Pharisee and tax collector, and one said, the, the Pharisee, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. I'm not an extortioner. I'm not unjust. I'm not an adulterer or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tithe of all that I get. But here's the prelude to that. He says, he told this parable to some who trusted in themselves 
that they were righteous and they treated others with contempt. And there, there's a cause and effect there. They trusted in themselves. The Pharisee, he's a religious guy, but he trusted in himself. The Pharisee thought, I've got a corner on this righteousness. I've got it all together. And if, if you, listen, if you think you've got it all together and you're, you really don't see the glory of the cross and your need for the cross, and you're, you're going to treat people with contempt. Because you look at people that aren't doing well and they say, why aren't you doing as well as I am? I've done this. I've done that. Why can't you do it? Get up, get going, get, do that thing. So you step back and say, you know, if, if somebody, if I'm on somebody's team, to use sports imagery, they've won the lottery. They've got a lottery pick or, or to use literature, I'm a Nobel laureate or to use looks, I look like the Kardashian family. You know, that's who I am. I've got it all together. So, so this man in Luke 18, this Pharisee was a fool. He's, he's a fool. He thought he didn't understand the glory of God. He didn't understand his own sin. And therefore, he treated people with contempt. That's the fool's way. But there, there's a, a middle way that I, I really need to talk to you sometime about. But it's, it's the way of what I call the noble pagan or the good neighbor policy. We all have friends I've had numerous people through the years that I respected and loved, and they weren't believers. Um, talked to them about Christ, just didn't see it, didn't want to go there. And, and yet they were, they were kind, they were gracious, and because they're made in the image of God, it's called the doctrine of common grace. They're able to express beauty and truth and kindness, but they're not on the path of life. They don't know Christ. They, they're, they're close. Some of them are real close because it's, it's, it's a scale. But, but they're, they're noble pagans. They're, they're just not in the Lord. They've responded to the law of God that's written on their heart. They say this is right and this is wrong because they haven't silenced the voice of conscience like the fool has. But the third way is the path of life. It's the path of flourishing. It's the path of hope. Now let me just step aside and mentioned two marquee issues in our culture and how the different people would respond to these issues. Racism, and I'll try to keep it PG, the gender-free movement. So we're hearing all these issues about race and all these discussions and editorials and articles. And if you ask, for example, the people on the path of do what feels good or do whatever makes you happy. If you were to say to these people that have no fixed moral compass, is racism wrong? In our culture today, the vast majority, thanks be to God, would say racism is a horrible sin, which means that you elevate one race above other races, that you say this race is superior to these races. And they would say it is wrong. But listen, if you have, and you have friends that say that, who aren't believers, ask them this, why? Why? They're going to say, well, it just is. But why? Well, the majority of our culture says that it's just wrong. Okay, that's interesting. I agree with you. I think you're right that it's wrong. And I believe the majority of our culture, vast majority says that it's, it's just wrong. It's a sin. It's, but then you need to say something like this. But if you study history, this is where it gets sticky. There have been groups in history that said they advocated and believed in 
a racist view, view to life. They believed that their ethnicity was superior, and because their ethnicity was superior, then they took liberties and they hurt people in egregious ways. They said, I'm not even talking about the Nazis. Let's talk about their counterparts, the Imperial Japanese. Japan in World War II believed, the nation believed at large, that the Japanese people, ethnically speaking, were the superior race in Asia. The superior race, and probably in the world, but particularly in Asia because they had Hirohito, they had the emperor worship, they had all this stuff. And so when the Japanese went into Korea and China, the bloodbath, the way people were treated is unbelievable. The destruction, the pillaging, the horrible treatment of people. And if you go to China today, school children will ask you, have you heard about what the Japanese did to Nanking in 1937. I mean, they're tutored in that. And so they treated the Koreans and the Chinese horribly and the Malays and the Singaporeans and the Indonesians and, and, and it, because they believed they were superior. So, so you can't really talk about societal norms necessarily. You ask a simple reader of the scripture, is racism wrong? And a simple reader of the scripture with a very basic education will say this. Racism is wrong because Acts 17.26 says that all, that, that, that all people come from a common ancestry. So, so Adam and Eve, so whether you're in sub-Sahara Africa or if you're in Buenos Aires, Argentina or if you're in Seoul, Korea or if you're in Vancouver, British Columbia, you have the same genetic makeup. Therefore, no race can claim superiority over another race. And in addition to that, we believe the Bible says that God made all men and women, boys and girls, in his image. Therefore, every man and woman, boy and girl, no matter if they agree with us or they curse us or they persecute us, because Jesus said, pray for those who persecute you and love your enemies. He said, they are worthy of respect and Christian love. That settles it. Therefore, racism is a horrible sin against God, who made mankind in his image. Just, that's the path of life. It just settles arguments. The other issue. So I read a book this week written by in 2013. It's a very um, dystopian, negative view of what's going to happen in the future for the church in, in the Western world. And I, I agree with some of it. And I didn't agree with some of it. But anyway, uh, in the book, he, he keeps talking about, this is 2013, how the church has got to deal with the issue of the coming, ongoing sexual revolution, and he talks about homosexual rights. And sure enough, two years after the book was released, in the Obergefell decision, the Supreme Court voted 5-4 that homosexual marriage could be the law of the land. So he, he talked about that, and he was prophetic. This is 2013. What he didn't even mention, I want you to hear this, what he didn't even mention, didn't even mention, was the trans movement, the gender-free movement. Wasn't even on his radar. Things are happening so quickly among us that we can be engulfed without even realizing it. I mean, it is amazing what's going on. And so we need to think well and walk the path of life and answer well. So somebody says to you, you're out and says, well, so what do you think about, about the, the gender-free movement? And, 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 and you go, I don't know, what do you think? I mean, ask them questions. Don't give the answer. What do you think? They say, well, I, boy, I don't know. I mean, any, any dad, any dad church is going to say, you know, 
I want to be open. I'm very open, but it really gives me concerns that potentially my 13 or 14 year old girl is going to go into a restroom and a guy who's identifying as a girl is going to be in there and who's 17 or 18. That really wipe, that really bothers me. Or I would say that this movement potentially can potentially just eradicate women's sports. When a bunch of guys say that we're women, that they're going to, they, they, they can, they can win the games. And I, I love women's sports. I coached basketball two years out of college. I enjoyed that. I'm girls and boys basketball. Uh, I coached the best eighth grade team in the history of Palmetto Christian Academy when my daughter was in the eighth grade years ago. No doubt about it. The best eighth grade team ever right here. I coached it. That's, that's just truth. The subjective truth. Um, so so th those are concerns to me. But, but really, if you were to ask me as a simple reader of the Bible, what do you think about the gender-free movement? I says, well, in the creation account, it says God made them male and female, mankind male and female. And God said over that, as well as the rest of the creation, it is very good. Now, we, we love these people. But, but we believe that gender is part of the very goodness of God's creation. And Jesus affirmed that in the book of Matthew. So we, we believe that's just part of the goodness of God's creation. And when you tamper with what God calls very good and you call it marginally bad or maybe marginally good, I think you open a Pandora's box. Like in Greek mythology, you know, they said, Pandora, don't open this box, don't open this box. And she did, and she opened it, and all types of stuff came out. When you go against the standards of God, you open the door to confusion. Therefore, while we love people and care for them, and it's just an easy thing to answer. That's an example of walking on the path of life where there's liberty and hope and joy and there are fixed standards and it's for our good given to us by the triune God who loves us. So, so as we talk about that, let me go down and talk about four things from the path of life. Four things. Number one, number one. If you go to Psalm 16, the path of life can only be entered by the work and glory and goodness of Jesus. If you do not worship Jesus, you don't get on the path of life. You come close. There are going to be people that will hear this discussion, maybe be sitting here today, there's a few of us as there are, who, who say, you know, I'm not really sure what I believe about Jesus, and you may be a noble pagan and a good guy, and you do the right thing, and you respond to the conscience that is God-given in your heart, you don't silence it, and, and you're a good neighbor, and you'd make a good mayor, and the person of the year, all those things. But without Jesus, you don't get the good stuff. Without Jesus, when you die, you go to eternal judgment. So you can come real close to the path of life, but you only get on the path of life through the door that is Jesus by the shed blood of the cross. Because you go to chapter 16, verse 10, I covered this last week when David wrote, he says, for you will not abandon my soul to the grave or let your Holy One see corruption. And I said, you know, what, what was David? David said, what, what is that about? That was a prophetic prophecy regarding the coming of Jesus because Peter at Pentecost and Paul in Acts 13 both said what was David talking about here? And they said he was talking about Jesus. So the way I get onto the path of life, the hinge is verse 10, behold the glory of Jesus. And I'll just say to you, go hard after Jesus. Glory in the greatness of Christ. Number two, this path of life is one of diligence and pursuit. You don't just sit back. 
Jesus said, if you continue my words, then you're my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. John 8. So you continue, truth make you free. It's not, it's not just, hey, maybe. No, you go for it. There is a path of life. And I've tried to in chapter 16 of Psalms say, well, here's the path of life. Number one, the first step, the first stone in the path is preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. That the first segment is, Lord, you've got to preserve me or I can't do it. Number two, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. So you say that the, the, the highest good for my soul is, is Jesus, is the goodness of Christ. He's the bright and morning star. He's the lion of Judah. He's the lamb of God. Number three, as for the saints who are in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. You, you love the people of God. I mean, I, I just have so missed seeing you guys. So miss being with people. But they said, part of a stone in the path of life is you rejoice in the people of God. And then you step back and you just, you're a keen observer of life. And you said, the next stone, those who run after another God, th their troubles and sorrows shall be multiplied. Therefore, I'm not going to mention their name or pour out their drink offerings of blood. It says, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. So the comparison and contrast is those who run after another God, th their sorrows shall multiply. Conversely, those who know the Lord says, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. Let me tell you, after years and years and years of observance, people who go strong for the Lord die well. They, they, they die with things that are spoken that need to be spoken. They die forgiving people. They die rejoicing in the hope of heaven. People who do not know Christ, often just don't die well. You, you, you deny the reality of Christ and you just get a little bit more out there. The man I mentioned earlier, John Perry Bar Barlow, you know, he, he was a wonderful man, in many ways a good writer. Again, taught at Harvard, did LSD experiments with Timothy Leary at Harvard. Um, in fact, he was a good, good friends with President Kennedy's widow and when John John was going through a hard time, Jacqueline, at that time, Onassis, asked Mr. Barlow to be the mentor to John John, her teenage son. He brought him to Wyoming and worked him on his ranch for a few months. Became good friends with that very talented young man before his tragic plane crash in 1999. But anyway, as you study his life, he, he was married, three very gifted daughters, divorced, married, divorced, then had a string of living girlfriends and finally thought he found the love of his life. A much younger woman, a 30-year-old surgeon from New York, she came to see him in San Francisco. She was flying from San Francisco back to New York and she died of heart arrhythmia in the middle of the flight. Broke, broke him. A few years later, he made this statement. He said, I, am, I, now, I now believe that I am, um, I'm not monogamous, I'm not made for monogamy. And one woman, I've got 25 or 30 women who I consider to be soulmates. Some are physically involved, some are just good friends, but they're all over the world. He thought his cat in his latter years was the manifestation of the Buddha. I mean, it's things like that, just weird, more weird stuff. And see, when you, it's like Chesterton said, the great British apologist of the 19th century, when you quit believing in the true God, you don't quit believing in a supreme being, you start believing anything and everything.
And it's true. So, so I, I look at this, this path and this diligence and how you walk. And he says, I put the word always before me because it's at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Let me give you a quote by John Calvin. This is Calvin. This is the preface to the Institutes. Calvin died in 1564. This is, you got part of the quote up here. For he who knows that these things will be prepared, be prepared these doctrines, will profit more in God's school in one day than another in three months. If he has this rule to embrace all that is presented to him, you embrace it. I exhort you, he says, therefore, I exhort you, all those who have reverence for the Lord's word, to read it and to impress it diligently upon your memory if you want to benefit from it. So the, the, the path requires diligence. The third thing about the path, and this is really good, I'm so glad for Hebrews 12. The good thing about the path is that brothers and sisters who've been bought by the blood of Jesus, if you get off the path and you're going the wrong way, your heavenly Father, with love and embrace, will discipline you back on the path. Ah, how many times have you said this to yourself, maybe to other people, you know, because of my sin, my unforgiveness, my arrogance, my lust, my pride, my sloth, I'm miserable. I'm miserable. When you say that, that is the Holy Spirit getting you back. And it's such a good thing. And he does it always with love, always with mercy, always with kindness. I'll show you a verse. This is Hebrews 12, verses 9 and 10. It says, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they, our fathers, disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. I have a wonderful dad. He's 95. And uh, I can honestly say... I can't remember a time when my dad disciplined me out of anger. He was angry at me at times. But the purity and the love and the care that my dad has for me is a small, 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 small reflection of the love that Abba Father has for his bride, the church, his elect, his called out people. And and so when I think about the path, it gives me great joy to know that the Father pushes us back. And so as I, as I look at this, I think about a guy named McIntyre wrote a book. He said that most people live, what he calls, with the untutored nature as it is. He just calls it the untutored nature. In other words, people say, well, just let me alone. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to, yeah, I'll work it out. But when I read the Bible... The Bible talks about the importance of ongoing repentance. And repentance is just doing a turnaround. Just doing a turnaround. Repentance is listening to admonition. Repentance is found, for example, in Proverbs 15:31 says this: The ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. And as I look at this, I ask myself, I ask you, are you repenting? Are you listening to life-giving rebuke or advice? 
and you'll dwell among the wise. There's another passage in Proverbs 9 that says, do not correct a fool or a scoffer. He'll hate you. But if you correct a wise man, he will love you. <laughs> Proverbs 17, there is a man or a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. So when you have brothers that are just born for adversity, they're there for adversity. I mean, we're going to all bottom out and go through this. And you have a brother who walks with you. You will not survive in the Lord as you should without brothers and sisters who walk with you through adversity. Am I repenting? Are you repenting? Or do you just kind of sit back and say, no, I, I have the untutored nature. I'm going to call the shots. Or, or does God's word call the shots? Or do you ask people to speak truth to you? Let me just make a side comment here. Um, we're on the midst of this COVID-19, and we are filled with consternation. Um, it's so interesting. People say, well, what's going to happen in two weeks? I don't know. I, I don't know. Um, people say, what's going to happen with school? I don't know. What's going to happen with sports in the fall? I don't know. And, you know, so you're living in this land of I don't know. And see, what happens to you, what happens is that just depletes you emotionally. It depletes you physically. I mean, a lot of us can't, man, will you, some of us, I'm, I'm guilty of this. I am, um, my wife tells me this. I'm like, a, I'm like a, a, a bobcat in this regard. I go to the same restaurant. I get the same thing. The same time of the day, the same day of the week. I'm about as exciting as three days old mashed potatoes that's been left on the counter. I'm, I'm just a routine guy. You can't get a routine during COVID-19. It's hard to get a routine. So you're emotionally, you're, you're, you're physically spent because you don't, you're emotionally spent because you think about the future. So here's my, here's my encouragement. Understand that if one to 10 is the way you respond, 10 being high alert, during a time when you're emotionally spent and physically spent, what would normally call a two response gets a seven response. It happens, all, it's happened with me. I've gone, boom, and then I've said, whoa, how'd that happen? So, so be very careful. Just be, very, be kind to people, be prayerful. The other thing I want to say is this. Um, we, we're, as a church, we want to do the right thing. And it's so interesting. I'll get an email from someone saying, I can't believe we're worshiping. You know, uh, I can't, I can't, we're in a, in a pandemic and we're worshiping. And I said, well, yeah, we're, we're wearing masks, we're washing our hands, we're social distancing, we're washing our hands so often, it's pretty soon our skin's gonna fall off in the sink. Um, we're trying to do the right thing. We're singing with masks on, all that kind of stuff. And I said, but you know, you might be right. I don't know. Then I'll get an email the same day. I cannot believe that we're part of the deep state cover-up, that we're still having masks. It's time to get rid of the mask, open the doors, call the school in, have a barbecue, and breathe on each other everywhere you are. And I just want to say to both groups, give us a break. You know, we're trying to do the right thing. We're not sure. But we want to go forward in the name of Jesus and impact our community to the ends of the earth. So pray for us. We're just trying to make the best decisions we can. Okay. 
Fourthly, as I close, the, 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 the thing about the door, the glory of the door is the door is always open. The door to the path of life is always open. John chapter 10. In John 10, uh, Jesus says this. To him, to Jesus, the good shepherd, to him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought them out, all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. He opens the gate, he goes before them, he calls them by name, they follow because they know his voice. That is a sweet, unbelievably gracious, glorious concept. Are you listening to the voice of Jesus? Have you come to a place where you've placed your faith in the finished work of Christ upon the cross for your sins? There's a man who died recently, J.I. Packer, one of my heroes, died at the age of 94. And Packer said that the New Testament could be summed up in three words, adoption through propitiation. I'm brought into the family of God through the work of Christ who died on the cross in my place. He goes before his sheep. He calls his sheep by name. They follow him. Then he says this in verse 9. He says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief came, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that may, they may have life and have it abundantly. He's the door. You go in and out and you find pasture. Thanks be to God, we find pasture through the reality of Jesus. The path of life. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. Now, one version of the Greek myth about Pandora goes like this. Then when Pandora opened the box and she saw all the eels coming out of the box, with, with great sorrow, she shut the box and she locked it. But when she shut the box and she locked it, there was only one thing left in the bottom of the box that was getting ready to come out, and that is hope. And that the hope was going to ameliorate or conquer all the other eels. And I just thought about that's the hope of the gospel of Jesus as, as we look at hope in the Bible. This hope gives us confidence and joy and purpose because there's a great God who is triune his glory and who loves us. And there is a Savior who died on the cross for our sins in our place. And there's a Holy Spirit that's been poured on the church. And yes, we have battles. And yes, we have sorrows. And yes, we have hard times. And yes, we have uphill battles. But we also have blessings and bounty and joy and hope and purpose. Get on the path of life and walk in it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day. And we thank you that you are gloriously good and, and you have not left us without a clear revelation of yourself in the person of Jesus, but also given us your word. And I thank you that as David saw prophetically the coming of Jesus, he said, you've made known to us the path of life. And you filled us with joy and peace and purpose in your presence. Fullness of joy. So come and do that in us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.